0: Today's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by A1 Steak Sauce. With steak, you want to make every bite count. That's why we use A1 Steak Sauce. A1 brings out every single bite of steak or even hamburger. Mm Mmm, delicious. For me, there's only one steak sauce, A1, because A1 has all the taste that makes every bite count. This week's episode is also brought to you by Dairy Queen Blizzards. The famous, flippable, often-imitated, never-duplicated Dairy Queen Blizzard. There's absolutely nothing like it unless... Unless there's two. Right now, buy your favorite Blizzard and get another for just $0.99 with promo code BALLS. That's right. At checkout, all you have to do is drop the promo code BALLS and that's it. You get one, buy one, and then you get one Blizzard for $0.99 at all participating Lexington Dairy Queens. Like I said, buy one Blizzard, get one for $0.99 with the promo code BALLS. That's B-A-L-L-S at all participating Lexington locations. Hit that ish. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to the 20th episode of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. One more week till this podcast is slugging beers and shooting down Vegas bombs at the bars, but that's in another week, and we'll get to that then. But on this episode, we have a returning segment of Blue Balls, and then we are debuting a new segment. That is right. I told y'all I'd be working on a lot of new segments over the course of my break, and I got one, another one for you this week, as DJ College says, another one. We have Bold Balls, where I give you some very bold predictions of some things that are going to happen within the sports world. We also have recaps of the weeks that were in college football and the NFL, and of course we look ahead to what is going to be coming up in these next weeks for college football and the NFL. And as always for the NFL, we have the rapid fire recap, but just a little teaser, just to get the tip a little bit, get the tip in a little bit. That's going to be coming on in the show a little bit later. Like I said, though, the Blue ball segment is back, and I'm going to start off this episode with that. The first Blue Balls I'm going to give it to this week is anybody that listened to my dumbass on the prediction for the Florida-Tennessee game. I said normally that game is a little boring, hasn't been good in the past couple years, and well, what does this game end up doing? Like I did say at the end, it would probably be a great game. Wasn't really that great, kind of sloppy, but it ended in an incredible fashion. Florida with a Hail Mary pass to win the game 26-20 as time expired. So the first blue ball I give out this week is going to go to any of my listeners that listened to, like I said, to my dumbass and didn't watch some of that game. If you did watch it, hopefully you only watched the last five minutes because that was the most exciting few minutes of that game. The next blue ball goes to LSU Tigers as they go Two, Starksville and Mississippi State. LSU 12th in the country, but they get throttled. Ed Orgeron couldn't do anything. Couldn't whip up some halftime speeches. Couldn't whip up any gumbo for the boys to get the win there. They, like I said, they get throttled. 37-7 by the Bulldogs of Mississippi State the last two blue balls teams that happened this week. I'm going to dive into the games a little bit more in a little bit, but Clemson went to Louisville where Louisville came out on this one with big blue balls. College game day was there, the fans, the city, everything was buzzing, but what does Louisville do in the game? They come out, Lamar Jackson, and they shit the bed, and Clemson pulls out the win, 47-21. Then the next blue balls, the last one of this week. You got Texas going to USC where Texas quarterback leads a masterful, almost game-winning drive in the last few minutes but Sam Darnell comes out gets his team in field goal position just to have the Trojans win in overtime so Texas Tom Herman the Longhorns one and two on the year they are my big blue ball recipient this week because if they win this game you could have said hey maybe Texas football is back but what do they get nope they just get some blue balls so, now that the blue balls are out of the way. We're going to look back at the week that was in college football. In the first game, we're going to look at Oklahoma State, ninth in the country. They go to Pitt. Pitt, a notoriously tough place to play, very tough team, but Mason Rudolph and the Cowboys lit them up. Cowboys win the game 59-21. reason I'm talking about this, though, is Mason Rudolph just has another huge game, 497 yards, almost 500 yards through the air, and five touchdowns, only one interception. He's people's dark horse Heisman kind of guy. He's not getting, he is getting some press, but not as much as maybe a Josh Rosen and a Sam Darnell. Uh, Lamar Jackson is right now, but Mason Rudolph and the Cowboys just keep plugging away at things. They're ninth in the country. You could say maybe they're slept on, but they, they're just so good. It's so hard to sleep on them. And like I said, the main reason I'm bringing this up, Mason Rudolph with another great stat line here, just helping his Heisman cause even more this weekend. The next game we look at, um, SMU went to TCU. TCU 20th in the country. TCU wins this one 56-36, wins them by 20. Uh, Kenny Trill Hill, love him as a player, love what TCU's got going on. He puts up 356 yards and four touchdowns through the air. The reason I bring this up is Oklahoma State and TCU have a really big matchup, early season matchup in the Big 12 that could really determine how things are going to shape up and shake out in this conference. Throughout the year. So, I just wanted to give a little bit about that. Gonna talk about that a little bit more for the upcoming weekend's games. But, like I said, this past weekend, TCU takes care of a very tough, underrated SMU team. Great long snapper there. Michael Sullinger, I hear he's pretty good. I've watched some film on him, I've gone up against him a couple times as well. He's legit, he's the real deal. So luckily TCU was able to win that third phase of the game, special teams, and in the end win this game 56-36. So I'm really only going to look at two more games from this past weekend, and the first one, it's going to be Texas going to USC. This game was a really hard-fought game. The uh, Coliseum there in uh, California was rocking, packed to the brim for USC and Texas. USC, like I said, wins a hard-fought game in overtime. The walk-on freshman kicker hits the walk-off game-winning field goal in overtime, two overtimes. Sam Darnell uh, almost 400 yards, has three, 397 through the air, three touchdowns, did throw two interceptions. What impressed me was the way Texas came out and played. You could really tell that Tom Herman, he was undefeated in games where his team was a uh, underdog to ranked teams throughout his career. This is his first loss, but you could see that Tom Herman just had these kids ready to play, and I think it's showing that Texas is trending in a good direction I understand it's a big game, so his players were probably a little bit more hyped up just because it was a big game and everything like that, but if USC is as good as what everybody's making them out to be, which I really think this year they actually could be, and you take a first-year head coach at one of the college football's most dynasty-type programs like Texas, and you go to USC, who's fourth in the country and looks about as good as everybody says they do, and they almost win the game, it's something to be encouraged. I understand there's not really a lot of moral victories sometimes. That's kind of what people say. I think this is a big moral win for Texas just because they were so close. But like I said, at the end, USC does win this game 27-24. Darnell has a pretty good day. And in the end, the freshman walk-on kicker is the big story here. USC has a big matchup next week. So it's going to get to the point now where the season – It's almost in full swing. The season's now sort of become a grind. Hard game after hard game. People are getting tape on you and stuff. So I'm interested to see how they keep progressing. But I'm also interested to see how Tom Herman and Texas keeps progressing in his first year down there in Austin and then the last game to talk about from last weekend probably the biggest game of last weekend you had the third ranked Clemson Tigers going to Louisville who is 14th in the country Clemson wins this one 47 21 Lamar Jackson he kind of Lamar Jackson but just not enough he had 317 yards through the air, three passing touchdowns. He only had 64 yards on the ground, no touchdowns. The running game just wasn't there for L. The passing game sort of was there. Um... Lamar wasn't really helped out from his receivers that much. What was very concerning for me was how easily Clemson moved the ball and put up points against Louisville's defense. I personally predicted Louisville to win because I thought, hey, I know their defense is kind of rebuilding, but in the past, their defense has been so good and so underrated and just not talked about a lot that I thought that might have been the case this year too, but It just wasn't, and it really showed in this game. My other thing is Kelly Bryant played a great game, the quarterback for Clemson. He was responsible for three touchdowns, two through the air, one through the air, my apologies, two on the ground. He put up 316 yards. Um, People were kind of asking me how I thought this game would go, what the storyline would be, and to you all, I did say Louisville would win, and I kept that coming up but near the like end of the week around Friday I met with some people and they were asking me how do you think this game's gonna play out and I don't really know what made me think it but um, how Lamar ha- kind of had his coming out party against Florida State last year in the third game I kind of switched the narrative and I said hey I think Kelly Bryant is gonna maybe have his coming out party the third week of the year um, top 15 matchup but you, you could say he did Maybe not statistically-wise, but poise-wise, um, getting his team in the right position to win, and even more than a game-manager sense. because To say he managed this game is ridiculous because he put up 316 yards and was accountable for three touchdowns. So I guess in a sense of, hey... I'm really as good as I am. Kelly Bryant really showed up for Clemson this last week. Clemson's defense, they had to replace a lot. They showed up. They had a great game plan to slow down Lamar as well as the rest of Louisville's offense. So just, I'm going to get to this a little bit more in my bold balls prediction, but I really like how Clemson played. Louisville, really, I think this is probably going to be one of their weakest performances of the year and what is a little concerning is louisville has kind of looked okay against purdue and north carolina i mean those teams aren't terrible but they're not that good and they held their own with louisville and then this game at home blackout night night game college game days there and they come out and they only put up 21 points with the reigning heisman winner it's a little concerning their defense has a lot of question marks Just the situation there and a lot of question marks that they have on the defensive side of the ball is just something to keep your eye on. Keep your eye on on the situation in Louisville just to see how they progress through the year as well. So, as always, that we looked back, now we can look ahead. And the first game on a fairly good weekend of college football that we're going to talk about is a hometown team. You got the Florida Gators, 20th in the country, coming off a huge last-second Hail Mary win against Tennessee. They're coming to Kroger Field, ladies and gentlemen, where they're going to take on the 3-0 Kentucky Wildcats. Florida has a 30-game win streak against the Cats, and if the Cats don't get them this year, they're never going to get them. I'll be honest with you. Steven Johnson has progressively gotten better through the first three weeks. Benny Snell has looked just as good as we thought he was going to. Kentucky's defense has done a lot better than what people have thought. Well, I saw some stat the other day that Kentucky's defense, I think, is in the top five of like rush yards allowed per games or rushing defense or something like that in the SEC, which is pretty big. But then I also saw another stat after the Florida-Tennessee game. Florida's offense, their passing game, accounts for 95% of their total offensive yards. So, passing and rushing, they're different. They are, obviously. So... Florida's a pretty good passing team. Kentucky's a pretty good run-stopping defense. I'm interested to see how Kentucky game plans and is able to maybe not stop, but slow down Florida's passing attack. And I'm really interested to see if Florida will try and diversify their play calling and open up some passing, some things in the passing game by running the ball a little bit more. But I think it bodes well for Kentucky if They do stop the run game and they make it a one-dimensional game where they know Florida's going to have to pass the ball. Um, Their D-line can uh, just pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. If Benny Snell comes out and has a good game and UK can control the time of possession, keep Florida's offense off the field, I think the Cats have a really good chance to win this game. I'd probably get my ass kicked, honestly, if I predict anything besides a Cats win, but in in the from the depths of my heart in the bot from the bottom of my heart. I really think the cats end the 30-year loss, the losing streak. And I think they get it done on Saturday, Saturday night. Lexington is going to be bananas. Um at Kroger Field, I'm gonna take the Cats in a close game, but I'm gonna say the Cats win by nine points. So Close, but I think the Cats pull away at the end and they upset the 20th-ranked Florida Gators at Kroger Field. The next game is one that I previously mentioned was uh, the 16th-ranked TCU Horned Frogs. They're going to the now 6th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. I'm sure this game is going to be a shootout. You have two very talented quarterbacks and Kenny Hill for TCU and Mason Rudolph for Oklahoma State. Whichever defensive team shows up that's who's gonna win the game in the end though I think Gary Patterson is a better defensive coach for TCU and I just think that I I like Oklahoma State I really do and I like Mason Rudolph but and I understand it's at Oklahoma State too so there's a lot going against TCU but I just think the way how TCU had a lot of hype last year, and they just didn't live up to it. I don't think Gary Patterson is going to let that happen again. I think Kenny Hill comes out, puts up great numbers statistically and game-wise, where he just shows that he is a great quarterback. I think Mason Rudolph in this game is going to get a lot of hype, and I think Kenny Hill is going to maybe take that a little personal. Um I'm going to take TCU in this one. It's an upset. I get that. And like I said, it's a huge game to see how things are going to shake up throughout the year in the Big 12 because the Big 12 championship game isn't winners of each um, subdivision, subconference within the conference. It's just the top two teams in the conference. So this is an early season matchup with a lot of implications for down the line. In the end, though, I'm going to take TCU and the Horned Frogs to go to Oklahoma State and beat the Cowboys. The next game we look at, we have the 8th-ranked Michigan Wolverines. They're 3-0. They're going to Purdue, and the reason I just bring this up, it's my upset of the week. Purdue, uh, Jeff Brom, new head coach. I like how their offense is performing. Michigan looked a little shaky last week against Air Force. They looked a little shaky their first two games as well. So it's at Purdue, a new offensive-minded head coach for Purdue with Jeff Brom. Like I said, I like the way their offense is going. Michigan had to replace a lot on defense. I think they replaced 10 starters, so I think this is probably the biggest game in Purdue football history in a while, so I'm going to take—it's a 4 o'clock game, so— I'm going to take Purdue in this one as my upset over Michigan in a pretty high-scoring game because Purdue's defense isn't that good either, and Harbaugh and Will Spate, they can put up points too on the offensive side of the ball for Michigan, but in the end, I think Purdue just proves to be a little too much firepower for the uh, very young and sort of inexperienced Michigan defense, so Purdue the Boilermakers with a pretty big upset in the Big Ten in the third week of college football. Moving on, we now go to a huge matchup in the SEC. We have the 17th-ranked Mississippi State Bulldogs going to the 11th-ranked Georgia Bulldogs. So you know what we got there. We got a battle of the dogs. God, I hate myself sometimes. Um, In this one, though, I'm going to take Georgia, and the reason I take them is because I think the running game with Chubb is going to be the total difference maker. I think they're going to really just try and run the ball down Mississippi State's throats, and they're going to try and keep the dynamic Fitzgerald, Nick Fitzgerald for uh, Mississippi State, their quarterback, off the field as much as possible. And the way you do that is you control the time of possession. I say it a lot, but you control the time of possession. You keep the big playmakers for the other team off the field, and you got a good chance to win. And I think uh, Fromm for Georgia makes enough big play. Plays, doesn't make enough mistakes for Georgia to come out on top in this one and Georgia's defense is always going to be there they just came off a uh, huge win the other week against Notre Dame a one-point victory where their defense showed up and really showed how good they were so in the end I'm going to take Georgia in this battle of the dogs against Mississippi State in a huge huge game in the SEC so early on in the year another big game in conference play this week. You got the number fourth ranked Penn State Nittany Lions going to the unranked 3-0 Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa is an extremely tough place to play. Um, Their quarterback, Nate Stanley, he's a little bit better than a game manager. He puts up, he has great numbers so far. He has 655 yards through the air, 10 touchdowns. He can sling the rock. Penn State's defense is so overlooked, though, that they don't get enough credit. But Iowa is an extremely difficult place to play. I like Penn State in this one. The only reason I bring it up is because I think it's going to be a lot better game than what people are thinking it's going to be. Iowa, I'll say it again, tough place to play. The Buckeyes have a game there later this year, and I am extremely concerned about that. I think Iowa wins one of their big night games against a uh, top 15 um Interconference opponent, whether it be this game against Penn State or against Ohio State. I'm hoping it's this game, but I think. Penn State's offense with McSorley at quarterback and then uh, Barkley at running back, two Heisman candidates, honestly, and then their defense, who is super underrated, just not getting a lot of buzz about them, but they're very good, too. I'm going to take Penn State in this one, but it's going to be a lot closer than what it was last year. Last year, Penn State demolished Iowa 41-14. This year, though, expect it to be a lot closer, but in the end, expect the Nittany Lions to come out on top in this one. And now the next and last game we're going to look ahead to this coming week for college football. We're going to take it to Division 3. We're going to talk about another local team. We're going to talk about the Center Colonels. That's right. In the D3 game of the week, we got Center going up against Barry College. Center, a lot of good friends of mine go there, play football there. Very underrated, good school, obviously high on academics, liberal arts school, though. Am I right? But also, very underrated, good party school. I'll tell you that from first hand experience. So, just to break this game down a little bit at quarterback for center, you got Devin Hayes, a very dynamic quarterback good running quarterback good passing quarterback before last week he had 371 yards and five touchdowns that was before they played Hendricks last week so I don't know his stats from that week but I'm I know they got the W I know he probably put up big numbers so he is a great player player to keep your eyes on because he can affect the game from the quarterback position in so many ways with his arm through the air or with his feet on the ground but a quarterback is only as good as his O-line and receivers are, and center's O-line is anchored by a great guard in Lowell Brown. The kid played so many different positions in high school, but finally found his niche senior year of high school playing guard, and he's just, he works his ass off. He's a bit of a uh, workout warrior, a bit of a gym rat, a lot of uh First guy in, last guy to leave type guy, if you ask me. So he's got the offensive line anchored down. And then one of the biggest play receivers I've ever had the pleasure of getting to play with, Jalen Hibbs. He's coming back from an injury this week. So expect him to really show out and just really bolster that passing attack for the Colonels. Also, through the passing attack, you got to be aware. Keep your eyes on Davis Canapel, the tight end for the Colonels. Through the air, he's a dangerous man, but... The best run-blocking tight end I have ever seen. He's a bad, bad man when it comes to blocking. He has found the end zone once this year. Don't be surprised if he finds the end zone this weekend as well, but any play he's in there blocking on a run play, it's got a chance to go the distance. That's just how good this guy is. On the defensive side of the ball, the Colonels aren't any slouches either. you got to start up front with Zach Berger. Through the year so far, he's got 12 tackles, two and a half for loss, might I add you, and then two and a half sacks. Kid is eating on the D-line. Expect him to have a big game. And then you can't forget about Connor Barnes. I understand he's injured, and I if he was playing, it wouldn't even be a contest. They wouldn't even need to play the game because it would just be over. That's how much of an impact this kid can have on the game when he's healthy and he gets to play. And then if the Colonels... If you're not convinced they're going to win already, you can't forget about the third facet of the game, where Ben Logston is holding it down. He's 8 for 11 on PATs this year. Pretty good statistic numbers. I'm not a mathematician. I'll let you run the numbers. But on kickoff, he freaking pins them deep, almost a touchback every time. And he's almost money on field goal attempts as well. So, like I said, if he's hitting, if everything's clicking on all cylinders with these guys, they, they pretty much just shouldn't even play the game because center just going to win the game. Colonels by 90, honestly. So, moving on. Up. Wait a minute. There's one person I forgot to mention for the Colonels. The kid with the tiniest hands I've ever seen, but maybe the biggest heart. Always the heart and soul of any team he's on. Kyle Oliver. Um... He's probably got these guys working their asses off in practice, making them better every single day. And that's what you need. You need a guy like that that's gonna push people in practice and just be a great teammate and a great guy and be there for them. And gosh darn it, that's what Kyle Oliver is. Tiny hands, big heart, great guy. So you put all these factors together, and what do you have? Ladies and gentlemen, you have a colonel's win in the division three game of the week. Let's go center. Colonels by 90. Boys, I'll see y'all in Danville Hill sooner than later. So, now that college is all wrapped up, let's move on to the NFL and let's get it started with a little rapid fire recap. First game. Boom! On Thursday night, the Texans go to the Bengals, and the Texans show the Bengals that Andy Dalton's pubes and hair isn't the only thing that's on fire, as the Bengals are a complete dumpster fire this year. Hey, Bengals, the point of the game? Win the game and score touchdowns, which you haven't done either of this year. Texans win this one 13-9. Next game. Boom. The Minnesota Vikings go to the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Steelers where the Steelers jujued on that beat. Jujued on that beat. Now slide, drop, hit up on Osop. stop. A hey, don't stop. Hey, don't stop. Hey. Running man on that beat. Running man on that beat. Off of a receiving touchdown from Juju Smith. The Steelers win this one 26-9. Next game, boom, Bills, Panthers, Ron Rivera and the Panthers say, hey, Bills, why don't you bring the marshmallows and the chocolate because we'll bring the graham cracker as Ganeaux as Gano puts three field goals through the uprights for a 9-3 victory over the Bills. Leaving the game at the end, Did the fans want some more of this one? Not a chance in hell, guys. Next game, boom, Eagles, Chiefs, Chiefs win this one 27-20 off of two rushing touchdowns from a man named, first name Kareem, middle name Mike, last name Hunt, that's right, Kareem Mike Hunt leads the Chiefs to a 27-20 victory over the Eagles. Next game, boom, Tom Brady and the Patriots go to New Orleans to face the Saints, where New Orleans defense was breaking just like the Levees did for Hurricane Katrina. Tom Brady puts up three three touchdowns in the first half as the Patriots win this one 36-20. Next game, boom, the Jets go to Oakland where Marshawn Lynch was just like a drunk white girl on a Saturday night on the town with her girlfriends. All he wanted to do was dance, and dance he did. Dance his way into the end zone, giving the Oakland Raiders a 45-20 to win over the Dismal Jets. Next game, boom, the Falcons tell the Packers, hey, you can't get in our Beamer, Benzer, Bentley, Beamer, Benzer, Bentley, as the Falcons win the first game in their new... Sp- Mercedes-Benz Stadium against the Packers and they say, hey, your Honda Accords over there, Aaron Rodgers, get on back to Green Bay. Hey, Honda Accords though, great cars, I'm not even going to lie. Last game, boom, the Lions go to New York where they make the Giants look like a lot of Ben Macca doofuses, winning the game 24-10, leaving the Giants fans asking, Ben Macca, what the fuck are you doing? And with that, That concludes this week's edition of Rapid Fire Recap of the NFL right here on Carson Sack Podcast. That segment was brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts is introducing a new latte. Discover a latte that's delicious, indulgent, and a lot more convenient. Dunkin' Donuts' incredible new latte. It's rich, it's creamy, and it's so much easier. Now that we've recapped, let's preview the upcoming week in the NFL. First game we got to look at battle of two awful teams, two 0 two teams. You got the Browns going to the Colts. I'm gonna take the Browns in this one. I think Deshaun Kaiser, he sat out a little bit of last week's game with migraines. Migraines are he did say he really can't differentiate between a migraine and concussion, which is a little concerning. And players that have had migraines in the past, like Percy Harvin, who. I can't take anything away from him. Percy Harvin, an extremely explosive player and a game-changing player. We saw that in the Super Bowl when the Seahawks played the Broncos. He impacted that game in so many ways, special teams and in the receiving game, and just being a threat on offense. I don't care how dynamic you are. If you can't get on the field because of migraines and stuff like that, you're just not going to be able to help your team win, obviously. So that's something to just keep your eyes on because Kaiser has shown some good tendencies that good quarterbacks have throughout his college career and these first two games for the Browns. But it's just something to keep your eyes on. A little bit of a red flag. For Browns fans, also another little tidbit thing I'm hearing from Cleveland, okay, my sources, I'm not going to name drop, (coughs) Adam Schefter, yeah, we text, we talk on the reg sometimes, he's told me Josh Gordon could be getting back reinstated and practicing with the Browns here pretty soon. Now, do the Browns, are they going to want to keep him? Are they going to want to trade him? He's caused him a lot of headaches here in the past couple years. I think you keep him, especially with your number one receiver and Corey Coleman just breaking his hand. He's going to be out for a while. So if he does get reinstated, hell, bring him on. You're the Browns. What do you have to lose? So what? He might not perform a little bit. But when he did perform, Josh Gordon was one of the best receivers in the NFL. On the other side of the ball, Jacoby Brissett did a little bit better than Scott Tolzien did for the Colts in week one. The Colts just don't have enough pieces anywhere on that team. The receivers are all right. Their running back needs a wheelchair or a walker half the time. Their defense is fucking awful. Andrew Luck, the Colts are wasting Andrew Luck's prime, and I hate to say that, You inherit such a good quarterback. You go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, who I'm not putting Andrew Luck on Peyton Manning's level, but two great quarterbacks, and right now you're wasting Andrew Luck's prime, Colts. Get your head out of your asses. Fix that. It's not going to start this week because the Browns are going to win this one, but like I said, head out of your asses, Colts organization. Head out of your ass, Jim Irsay. Put down the bottle a little bit. Get it together, but just not this week. Browns win this one. The next game to take a gander at is in the NFC South. You got the Saints going to the Panthers. Saints 0-2 on the year. Panthers haven't looked very impressive either this year. Grand, they are 2-0, but Cam Newton and that offense just isn't clicking. Cam Newton just isn't the same player he was two years ago when he won the MVP and took them to a a one-loss season and to the Super Bowl where they lost. He's just... Not the same player. I, You could say injuries. I just don't really know why it really is that way, honestly. In this game, I'm going to take the Saints. I think they get their first win of the year. I think Drew Brees puts up a lot of big numbers against a very good Panthers defense, which has really limited. I guess that's why you could say they're 2-0. It's because their defense has showed up so well the first two weeks. But I think Drew Brees comes out. I feel so bad for Drew Brees. If he if the Saints had an an okay defense, they could make the playoffs every year just because he is so good and can make his receivers and other teammates around him so much better. Kind of like Tom Brady does, but they their defense is just so awful. So this game's either gonna go one of two ways. Either the Panthers offense starts clicking and then you question, hey, is it the Panthers' offense or is it the Saints' defense? Or uh, Drew Brees comes out and cracks the Panthers' code of defense, and uh, I think that's what's going to happen. I think the Saints are going to win this one in a pretty high-scoring game. The next game to look at, which I think could be a NFC playoff preview is the Falcons going to the Lions. The Falcons looked a little sluggish in Week 1. Week 2, they come out and get a big win on Sunday Night Football against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in Atlanta. The Lions, big win against the Giants on Monday night last week. I like the Lions in this one. I think Matthew Stafford, he he's not underrated, and I think he's a little overrated at the same time. But I think this year... Last year without Calvin Johnson, he showed, hey, I don't need a freaking athletic superior freak to be good. I can put up good numbers. I can win us games. I can get us to the playoffs. I think that keeps going. The more the Lions are able to run the ball with Amir Abdullah, the better they're going to get. Their defense is pretty good. Not a lot of people talk about them. Matthew Stafford is pretty good himself. Golden Tate on the edge receiving. He's very good. I like the Lions in this one, and I think Matthew Stafford is going to have a big game. And like I said, both these teams, they're not going anywhere in the NFC. They're going to be near the top of their divisions all year. Probably both are going to make the playoffs in some way or another, I feel like. And I like both these teams to make it pretty deep in the playoffs. Maybe, maybe not the conference um, round, but maybe the divisional round for both of these teams. But in this week, week three, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We're talking playoffs already. Good Lord. Playoffs. Week three, I'm going to take the Lions over the Falcons. The next game, another NFC matchup. You got the Buccaneers going to the Vikings. Vikings losing against the Steelers last weekend. Buccaneers playing in their first game, getting a big W. Um, Buccaneers without running back Doug Martin again for the first three games. What is a bit concerning for the Vikings for the foreseeable future, I guess, Mike Zimmer hasn't really come out and given a real timetable on his return, is the injury with Sam Bradford. Case Keenum is their backup. He's not He's not an incompetent quarterback, but he's, he's not a winning NFL quarterback. I'm not going to say he's not an NFL quarterback because he's gotten a lot of opportunities at a lot of different places in his career, and he's done okay. I think the best quarterback on the roster is still Teddy Bridgewater, but his ACL injury, he's still coming back from that. If he can come along and play with Bradford's absence and plays well enough, that could create a quarterback controversy, which... That's the last thing they need in Minnesota. They got a good young team. They got Diggs out at receiver. They got Dalvin Cook at running back who has proved to be a great young running back so far through two games. Their defense is one of the best in the NFL. The last thing they need right now is a quarterback controversy. But if Bridgewater can come back and play good enough to challenge Bradford for the starting role, that could be a developing storyline right there if Bradford can come back pretty soon I like the Vikings a lot but in this game Mike Evans Jameis Winston, Jaquiz Rogers and uh, their defense nothing to sleep on I'll tell you that Gerald McCoy up front is a monster I'm going to take the Buccaneers in this one if Bradford or Bridgewater were playing a quarterback for the Vikings I'd probably take the Vikings but Case Keenum just, just doesn't do it for me at all at all. So I'm going to take the Buccaneers in this one over the Vikings. Let's just keep it going. Another NFC matchup. You got the Giants going to the Eagles. Eagles 1-1, Giants 0-2. Ben McAdoo throwing Eli Manning under the bus after their last game on Monday night against the Lions. I'm going to take the Giants in this one. I think it's just about time that the Giants just start getting their shit together. Putting things together, they're a better team than what they've shown these first two weeks. Their O line has been questionable. Their run game has been non-existent. I understand those things aren't going to be fixed. They're not. They can't do a total one eighty in a week. I get that, but. The team has too much talent for them to just keep losing games as badly as they are and keep performing as badly as they are. The Eagles' running back situation is something that is a little concerning. With Wentz in their past game with Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar, that's still there. That's always going to be there. Zach Ertz, everything like that. Their defense is very good, too but their run game concerns me a little bit because if they can figure that out, this team, the Eagles, they're pretty dangerous. And I know you're like, Carson, well, the Giants don't have a running game either. I get that, but I think their offense is a little bit more explosive than the Eagles is right now. So I think the other aspects of the offense, the passing game, Eli Manning with all his weapons, Sterling Shepard, Odell, and Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall Somebody sent a search party, an amber alert for that man because he has been non-existent in the passing game for the Giants at all. A bright spot for them has been the rookie out of Ole Miss, the tight end, Evan Ingram. He's a little bit more than a tight end. He's kind of got a wide receiver body that they kind of line him up in the slot or have him come off the line and run routes from there. He's a matchup problem for anybody. Too big for a uh, secondary guy. Too fast for a linebacker. He's been a really big bright spot, and not a lot of people have talked about him. Eli Manning has looked for him as a security blanket. He's about one of the only guys that Eli has been able to pass the ball to with regularity and consistency. So I think he'll find the end zone maybe twice. I think Odell will find the end zone once, and maybe Brandon Marshall will catch four balls this game, at least maybe get targeted five or six times, maybe have over 50 yards receiving. But in this one, I like the Giants over the Eagles. And now, finally, we have an inner division matchup. We have the Seahawks going to the Titans. Seahawks, still a lot of questions for me. They barely beat an awful team last week in San Francisco. Those games are always close. I don't understand why. I guess because they're in the same division within their conferences. I I just don't understand. The Seahawks, their run game, they have so many question marks. I get you lose a player like Marshawn Lentz two years ago, you can't expect to have some guy step right in and be able to replace, but they have so many question marks with Carson at running back, with Rawls at running back, with uh, Samadre P. Ryan at running back, with Eddie Lacy, who wasn't even suited up, who they traded for this last offseason. It's just a lot of question marks. Their O-line is just god-awful. Russell Wilson can't keep turning chicken shit into chicken salad with the O line giving him so little time and having to scramble and everything like that. He's got he's their their offense can make big plays. Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, Jimmy Graham, they have the weapons. Russell Wilson, great quarterback. They have the weapons, but their O line just isn't there and It's super concerning. Of course, their defense is always going to be good, keep them in games. And because of their ability to explode at any moment, their offense is going to be dangerous and be able to keep them in games too when they're clicking. The Titans' defense, though, Casey in the middle, is one of the most underrated defensive linemen within the past 10 years. I feel like he dominates the trenches. His push every play against the guards or the center, depending on where he's lined up, is all, you can just see it. Just look, watch for it a couple times this game, if you watch this game, and you'll just notice it. Marcus Mariota, he's coming into his own in his third year. Their running game with DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry. They're figuring out how to use that a little bit better and manage their reps and carries and touches. Eric Decker and the rest of the receiving core is stepping up for Marcus Mariota. Delaney Delaney Walker, the ever-consistent fountain of youth. Delaney Walker, a tight end for them, is stepping up big. I like the Titans big in this one. Um, Tennessee's favored by 2.5. Again, I'm not a betting podcast at all, but I like them to cover that by a lot. I think Tennessee wins this game easily against the Seahawks. And then the last game to look at for this weekend of NFL games... You got the Raiders going to the Redskins on Sunday night. Raiders 2 0, Redskins 1 1. Raiders really showing that they're a pretty complete team. I think the AFC West is probably the best division in all of football. You got Raiders, Chiefs, Broncos, and the Chargers. Chargers, worst team in that division, but they're not even that bad, honestly. Redskins, they've been up and down all year. If they can find a running game um, with Rob Kelly, just uh, if they can find consistency with that, and Kirk Cousins, who has shown he can be a very good quarterback, can get on the same page with uh, Jameson Crowder, Terrell Pryor, He's still taking some time to get used to Terrell Pryor as his number one receiver, and that takes time. There's growing pains. Even through an offseason, it takes time to get game speed reps with the number one guy, which Terrell Pryor can be. But the Raiders really showing that these, this is a really complete team. They're def- I their defense, very good. Khalil Mack, one of, if not the best defensive player in the league. Their offense with Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. And then Derek Cart, quarterback, and Marshawn Lynch. And the stable of running backs they have there, they're looking like one of the best teams in the NFL, honestly. The Redskins, they have some question marks on the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to take the Raiders in this one, and I'm going to take them... Kind of big as well, just because, like I said, I think they're one of, if not the most complete, well-rounded teams in the NFL. Not just on the field, but on the sidelines. Jack Del Rio is a great coach. He's a player's coach. He rolls rolls the dice almost every game in big situations. He's He's got a lot of balls, a lot of guts, and I like that. So Raiders over the Redskins in this one. So that does it for the NFL and college football talk. Now we're going to get to that new segment I teased you about. Going to get to bold balls. This is where I'm going to make some bold predictions. Um, You might say, hey, Carson, you're a fucking idiot after you hear these. But it's just just my predictions. They're a little bold. I will say that. But if if they're right, I'll look like a damn genius. So just hear me out on these, okay? The first one, since 2007, 83 teams that have started their season 0-2, only nine of them have made the playoffs. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's going to be two this year. This year alone. I think the Bengals are going to turn around. I think Andy Dalton starts playing like the Andy Dalton that the NFL and everybody else knows he can play like. And their defense, Bengals defense is good. Vontez Burfitt, I I don't like him as a person, great football player. Adam Pacman Jones, don't like him as a person, great football player. Their defensive line is one of the best in the NFL. So them, And then I'm also going to give it to the Giants. Like I said, their offense is too high-powered for them not to start winning games and turning things around. Their defense with Landon Collins and Olivier Verne and Jason Pierre-Paul, they're good too. Eli Apple as well. Their front seven is fantastic fairly solid and their secondary like I said with Landon Collins and Eli Apple is one of the best young secondaries in the NFL so since 2007 only nine 0-2 teams have made the playoffs I'm going to say two this year this year alone two make the playoffs that have started 0-2 and that is the first bold balls and then my second bold balls is People are really riding high on Clemson right now. They're saying, hey, they're going to win the ACC. They're going to probably be in the college football playoff. They have a really good chance of winning the college football playoff and winning the national championship. Well, I'm here to say, "Uh uh-uh, not going to happen. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Clemson – doesn't even win the ACC. If you look at their schedule, yeah, they got Boston College this week, but then they got a primetime matchup next week against Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech that I'm going to take the Hokies in. And then you look at their schedule, yeah, after that, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, but another sneaky little game, NC State. Clemson at NC State on November 4th. NC State, at the start of the year, people are saying, oh, Keep your eye on them. They're a little little dangerous. They're kind of sneaky. They play real physical football. I still think that holds true for them. I think they could get the Tigers, especially with it being at NC State. It's going to be a loud, raucous atmosphere there. So keep an eye on that game. And then if they don't – if Clemson doesn't lose that game – it's probably going to be a pretty hard-fought game. And then the following week, the 11th, so only seven days later, Florida State comes to town to play Clemson. I get it. It's in Death Valley. It's at Clemson. I get that. It's Florida State did lose Francois, their starting quarterback, and... There are still some question marks with how they're going to replace Dalvin Cook and stuff like that, but by then, I think the freshman quarterback, the five-star that they put in, he'll have some things figured out. They'll have the running game figured out, and then their defense, again, one of the best in the country. Um, Jimbo Fisher is a great defensive-minded coach, and he always has Florida State's defense looking good, so... Maybe because of the tough week before, the tough game before the week with North Carolina State. If North Carolina State doesn't get them, I'm going to say Florida State gets them. So there's two losses right there in the ACC that takes them out of the ACC championship game. And like I said, I don't even think Clemson wins the ACC. And now for my last bold ball, we're gonna switch sports entirely. And I don't talk about this sport a lot here on the sack, but because it's just because I don't know as much as I'd like to know about the situate about the sport to tell my listeners about it. But we're gonna talk a little MLB here. And my bold ball is this: a lot of people after the Indians' uh, huge twenty-two game win streak happened, oh, this team is so great, they're gonna win the World Series, they're gonna go to the World Series, all this. And if anybody is saying that another AL team has a chance to beat them, it's the Astros. My bold ball claim is this, that if the Indians don't play the Red Sox in the AL playoffs, they're going to make the World Series, no problem. I don't think they have a problem getting past Houston or anything, but... If the Indians play the Red Sox, the Red Sox are winning that series. They've struggled all year with the Red Sox lineup and pitching, and David Price could be moving to the bullpen for the Red Sox like he did for the Rays when they had their little moment in the spotlight when they were good with Longoria and Price and all them back in the day. So he could be making that transition from starting pitcher to the bullpen again like he did there. They have... Chris Sale do the Red Sox and he's a great starting pitcher probably one of if not the best in the AL. Corey Kluber for the Indians might have something to say about that, but the Indians have just struggled all year with the Red Sox pitching and their the pitchers for the Indians have gotten banged up touched up every time that they've played the Red Sox and the Red Sox I think have more wins against the Indians this year then vice versa the Indians do against the Red Sox so I think that's my last bold ball that the Indians don't play the Red Sox in the AL playoffs just pencil them in to the World Series they're going back they're that much better than everybody but if they play the Red Sox the Red Sox are going to win that series Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of Carson Sack, Episode 20. Next week, we're celebrating the Big 21, and we're going to rank the top five alcoholic athletes of all time. So just to give you a little preview of what's to come next week, The podcast can finally belly up to the bar, can finally order itself a beer, can finally stop asking its older podcast, hey, can you go to the liquor store and bring me back some brunettes? Yeah, my podcast does that. It's a big fan of brunettes. Stop making fun of it. But again, as always, I thank you for listening to this. Um, Again, I feel real big time saying this, like, subscribe on iTunes, give it a five-star rating subscribe to it give me a great review that'd be awesome if you could do that um again I get this episode's probably a little shorter I apologize about that it was a really rough long week here so far for me like I said I tweeted it out um I'm a student first podcaster second so I gotta take care of the academics before I can give you this so Again, thank you all for listening to the 20th episode of Carson Sack Podcast. I will see you next week. And again, as we always say here on the Sack, we will be seeing you.